before we begin this morning, I wanted to um, read a statement to you. Uh, we begin our time on a somber note this morning as we recall the events Friday night and Saturday in Charlottesville, Virginia. A white supremacist group clad in Nazi regalia and chanting Nazi rhetoric marched on the University of Virginia campus Friday night. That spilled over into a protest yesterday morning, culminating with a car running through a group of anti-protesters killing one. Uh, the video was chilling. I quote and agree with a prominent Southern Baptist pastor from Arkansas who said the protesters at Saturday's rally did not represent in any form or way the Christian faith or the values followers of Jesus stand for. In fact, white nationalism and white supremacism are anathema to the teachings of Christ who called us to love and to serve our neighbor regardless of skin color, gender, or religion, to give up our life for our friends and to even love our enemies. Orrin Hatch, senator from Utah, said, we should call evil by its name. My brother didn't give his life fighting Hitler for Nazi ideas to go unchallenged here and now. And so we think about the victims this morning of all, of, all that happened yesterday and Friday night in Charlottesville. And Corey is going to come and offer a prayer. Let us pray. Most loving creator God, in the beginning you called the deep, brought forth the light, and brought life to the world. You created humankind. You created us in your image. You made us with hearts and minds that echoed yours, and you saw that it was good. While we all look different, we all hold the same spark of your image. That's why Jesus can look at a crowd and tell them to love their neighbor as themselves and do good to those who persecute them, because nothing removes your image. We thank you for this part of your good news, your gospel. Just God, we pray for repentance and for forgetting your good news. We live in a nation that has been happy for centuries in determining one's worth by the color of their skin a distinction used by systems and powers to oppress our black and brown brothers and sisters. For our part in this, we humbly repent. As Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote while sitting on a jail in Birmingham, Alabama for fighting for justice, we have abandoned your justice for our desire for order, however false that order may be. We have kept silent in hope that it'll all go away. For this silence, we humbly repent. God, you are a God who acts. You are a God who is present in the world. Give us the courage to do such in the face of the evils of racism, of white supremacy, and white nationalism. Give us the courage to announce the image of God in our black and brown brothers and sisters and to stand with them as neighbors. Give us the power to declare your good news to both the oppressed and the oppressor because both are your children. Both are raised up and liberated by the gospel in different ways. The oppressor raised up from the harsh burden of inferiority, the oppressor from the destructive illusion of superiority. Give us the courage to love our enemies, those who have let the satanic powers of divisiveness work through them. Let your love break open their hard hearts. As Dr. King also wrote, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. 
we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Teach us to see this garment, to stand up for, your brothers, for our brothers and sisters, and to live out your kingdom in this world. In the most holy name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Our second scripture reading today is found in Matthew chapter 14. I'll be reading verses 22 through 33 in Matthew chapter 14. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by this time the boat battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I've probably told you all this before. My dad loved deep sea fishing. Some of my fondest memories as a child and teenager were the few times that we would charter a boat with Captain Bobby Walker and head out into the Gulf. With Captain Bobby Walker and his first mate in charge on his big boat, there was not a care in the world. You just went out and caught fish. They even baited the hook for you. Great memories. Some of my most frightening memories are when I would go with my dad and two or three others on his 18-foot chaparral named the Jolly Charlie. Frightening, you say? Yes. This was no charter boat. There was no seasoned captain, although my dad would argue. You were on your own. I cannot count the number of times that we would get everything ready, get all the equipment ready, launch the boat, get ready to start the boat, and the motor wouldn't turn over. On those occasions, instead of just pulling it right back on the trailer and going home and, and getting some sleep, my dad, after much fussing, fuming, not much cussing, and tinkering, would find a way to get that motor running. But when he got it going, he would always say, we've got to be careful that we don't idle it too low, or it might quit again. So as we headed out into the pass, I would pray to God that the motor would not stop running while we were out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico which it did on occasion, and that's a story for another day. There was so much that could go wrong. Watching for the other boats and their wakes, 
Once you were fishing, not cutting off the other boats too quickly and cutting their fishing lines that were out behind them, making sure our fishing lines didn't get tangled, which they did, which was a mess and which got my dad's blood pressure really, really high when I would hand him another Diet Coke. Pulling the fish in, getting the hooks out without cutting yourself, on and on. I mean, the list just goes on. Not to mention when a storm would come through. One of my favorite things and one of the most relaxing is to watch a storm come in on the Gulf while on the 19th floor balcony of a condo. One of the most frightening things is to watch that storm approach when you're in the 18-foot jolly jolly and the fish are biting and so your dad doesn't want to pull in and get out of there. As frightened as I might have been in the jolly jolly, I don't think it compared in the least to the experience Jesus' disciples had while on a boat in their own storm. Last week we read that Jesus was getting away to a secluded place, maybe for a time to grieve the death of his cousin, John the Baptist, maybe just a time to get away to be alone. But notice in the text that Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, kind of like my dad did on one of those early mornings. Sailing at night was Jesus' idea. Jesus, who knows all, must have known that sailing would be rough that night. Why would he take his disciples off the security and safety of good, solid ground and make them cross a lake at night? Matthew doesn't say. We are told only that Jesus wanted to get away by himself and go up on a mountain to pray. When evening came and it got dark, the boat carrying the disciples was far from the land and was being battered by the waves. Now I must pause here to give my dad credit. When he saw a storm approaching, even if the fish were biting, he would eventually tell us to reel them in and we would hightail it to the safe harbor. And most of the time we got there before the storm hit. Not the case here. They were in it. They had no choice. Any of y'all ever watched the TV show Deadliest Catch? Any of y'all ever seen Deadliest Catch? It's about these Alaskan fishermen that, that go after king crab. And they're out there in the Bering Sea. And uh, when it's Opilio season and they're in the winter season, uh, these hurricanes come through and they don't, go, they, they, hey, they don't go back to Safe Harbor. I mean, they are out there. And I mean, the, the, the snow comes with these storms and they've got these hammers out getting the eye. I mean, 25, 30-foot waves. It's truly incredible. It's, it's the picture I get of the boat rocking and rolling with the disciples. It was rough sailing that night. And then we have, and this is from the message, about 4 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. They were scared out of their wits. Really, A ghost, they said, crying out in terror. Notice something here in the story. Matthew doesn't tell us that the disciples call on Jesus to save them. Instead, in their distress, Jesus comes to them. His walking on the water toward them was 
his idea before it was theirs. In a terrifying storm, the disciples are even more terrified by the appearance of Jesus. Of course, he appears to them by unexpectedly walking out on the water. But notice that those who know Jesus best are terrified when he shows up to them in the dark in the middle of a storm. At first, they don't recognize him, say it's a ghost. Maybe they had thought that Jesus was a great teacher, a moral advisor, an expert on Scripture. That night, they discovered that Jesus was substantially more. The story begins in terror, but ends in joyful recognition and worship. Then those in the boat worshipped Jesus and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. You know, sometimes we think of faith maybe as a matter of calm and thoughtful reflection that ends with, I believe. But this story suggests that sometimes faith is what comes to you in the middle of a storm. In the dark, when Jesus comes to you and says, hey, it's me. And then just as Jesus says to Peter, come on, come to me. You know, when we think about it, there are many times in Scripture when we might be able to say, you know, I I really can't relate to what's going on with this. But that's not the case here. Because what we are talking about with this story is unbridled fear. The kind of fear that keeps you up at night. The kind of fear that can scare the willies out of you. We know what it's like to be fearful. I want to read to you a set of instructions that's likely to have a bunch of people fearful today. If called outside, do not look at the flash or fireball. It can blind you. Take cover behind anything that might offer protection. Lie flat on the ground and cover your head. If the explosion is some distance away, it could take 30 seconds or more for the blast wave to hit. Take shelter as soon as you can, even if you were many miles from ground zero where the attack occurred. Radioactive fallout can be carried by winds for miles. Remember the three protective factors, distance, shielding, and time. If you were outside during or after the the blast, get clean as soon as possible to remove radioactive material that may have settled on your body. Remove your clothing to keep radioactive material from spreading. Removing the outer layer of clothing can remove up to 90% of radioactive material. If practical, Place your contaminated clothing in a plastic bag and seal or tie the bag. Place the bag as far away as possible from humans and animals so that the radiation it gives off does not affect others. When possible, take a shower with lots of soap and water to help remove radioactive contamination. Do not scrub or scratch the skin. Wash your hair with shampoo or soap and water. Do not use conditioner in your hair because it will bind radioactive material to your hair. Gently blow your nose and wipe your eyelids and eyelashes with a clean, wet cloth. Gently wipe your ears. If you cannot shower, use a wipe or clean, wet cloth to wipe your skin that was not covered by clothing. And this list is from 
Guam's Joint Information Center fact sheet in case of emergency preparing for an imminent missile threat. The headline in the Pacific Daily News this week read, 14 minutes. That's how long residents of Guam would have to duck and cover before a missile launched from North Korea reached the island. What if you had just read an article telling you to be on alert in case the clock started ticking down from 14 minutes? If I'm at Kroger, I can't even get home in 14 minutes. My friends, fear is alive and well in our world today. And it comes in many forms. Maybe it's the fear of nuclear war. You know, if it begins with North Korea and the United States, it's not going to end there. Believe it. Fear is alive and well. Just ask those in Charlottesville who were run over by a car yesterday when they were there for a rally. Maybe it's the fear surrounding life itself. We continue to pray for Alicia and her family as they grieve the loss of her father. I can fuss all I want to about that old run-down jolly jolly boat, but there's not much I wouldn't give for another day with my dad in that boat in the Gulf. Losing a parent creates a void, a loneliness that cannot be replaced with any other person. Maybe it's the fear of the unknown. The disciples in that boat thought a ghost was coming to get them. They thought they were going to die right then and there. We fear the unknown also. Am I going to get that job that I so desperately need? Then once you get the job, am I going to be able to cope with these co-workers that I work with? Then after you cope with them for years and years and you've been there for a while, Am I going to be able to retire? Am I going to be able to make it in retirement? We fear. Maybe we fear being accepted by others. Teenagers are weighed down by what is called adolescence egocentrism, thinking that everybody is always paying attention to them, that what they think about themselves, everybody else is also thinking that about them too. It's not the case, but try convincing that to a teenager. We fear what we look like, how we think, what we do, much more than others perceive these same things about us. Fear is very real in our lives. And what makes me fearful, you may laugh at. What makes you fearful might not faze me, but it does not make your fear any less real. This past Monday, Martha and a co-worker of hers rode with me to opening faculty day at Northwest. After we finished the day, we went to this place where we like to get blueberries. Picking season is over, but we were going to buy a couple of gallons anyway, and uh, Martha and her co-worker had gone up to the door of this lady's house, and I was getting the ice chest out. Martha had knocked on the door. Nobody was coming to the door. Martha said, oh, well, look at there. There's a nice little snake over there. Well, I stopped where I was with ice chest in hand. No, I'm not coming to the rescue. I'm sorry. And she didn't need rescuing because she's like a friendly little black snake. It's just a black snake, a little black snake. Well, I did. I, I 
inched up a little bit more, and I could see that it was headed into the storage room, but it wasn't just a little black snake because it had several curves. A little black snake might have one or two. This one had several, Peter. And uh, so I said, you know what? I'm going to leave friendly little black snake right there, and I'm going to leave me right here. I'm just not coming up there. It's not going to happen. I was stopped in my tracks because of fear. It's the same way with fear in the life of a believer. It is completely debilitating. It can sneak up on us and it will paralyze us, making it extremely difficult to move forward in our Christian lives. It can stop us in our tracks and rob the joy of living in Christ. But it doesn't have to be that way. I go back to a pivotal point in the story. Jesus' disciples didn't cry out for Jesus to come and save them. He came on his own and found his place among them in the midst of the storm. Not only that, he called Peter out of the boat to walk to him in the storm. When Peter's fear got the best of him, what happened? Jesus did not hesitate. He reached down, grabbed his hand. Now, I don't know about everything that's going on in your life today. For many of you, because we're so small in number, I do know a good bit. But even those of us who really know each other well don't know the whole story. If by chance you find yourself not sitting here in the peacefulness and security of our church, but in the middle of a storm, like Peter, full of doubt, in danger of going under, darkness all around you, to you I say, that's a pretty good place to be met by Jesus. You see, there's a promise implied in today's scripture. In the storm, in the darkness, Jesus will come to you. The waves that are crashing around you, the waves that threaten you are no problem for him. He speaks to you saying, I'm not the one to be feared. I'm your Savior. You know, sometimes we might think the best place to grow closer to God is through the quiet times when we are able to be alone and safe and secure. Maybe we go to the mountaintop Maybe we isolate ourselves for a time. We recharge our batteries, so to speak. And we certainly can and do grow closer to God during those times. Yet our story today seems to suggest an alternative. It's in the storm. When Jesus has sent you out into the open sea, forced you to set sail, and then in the storm, when the wind and waves are battering you as hard as they can in the darkness. It's then that Jesus speaks those saving words, Take heart, it's me. Don't be afraid. David Lowe's writes this, When the disciples are terrified, Jesus calls for them to take heart. And when Peter flails and cries out to be saved, Jesus reaches out and grabs him. The future is open, for God is with us and for us. God will do what we cannot. Nothing that we have done or have been done to us can erase God's desire and ability to save and restore us. 
God is not done with us yet. He goes on, Jesus does not just command us to venture out into the storm with him as he does Peter. He also comes to us in the storm, climbs into the boat with us, and in this most of us find our story meshed into Matthew's storm story, which is also God's story. Our hope on good days and bad is that Jesus, God's Son, is in the boat with us. God with us in the storm. Most of you know that Martha and I celebrated our 30th anniversary last week by going to hear Bonnie Raitt and James Taylor in concert at the FedEx Forum. Probably one of James Taylor's most famous songs goes like this. Just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. Suzanne, the plans they made put an end to you. I just walked out this morning and I wrote down this song. I just can't remember who to send it to. I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I've seen sunny days that I thought would never end. I've seen lonely times when I could not find a friend, but I always thought that I'd see you again. Of course, the song is entitled Fire and Rain. That verse was about Taylor's friend Suzanne, who died from suicide while Taylor was in London working on his first album. It's back when albums came. Friends at home, concerned that it might distract Taylor from his big break, kept the tragic news from him, and he only found out six months later. And as a trivia tidbit, Carol King played piano on that song, and the words I've Seen lonely times when I could not find a friend inspired her to write, You've Got a Friend, another song made popular by Taylor. Maybe you can sincerely sing along with him this morning, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. Lonely times, fearful times. It is during those times when Jesus reaches out to us, the storms, darkness, fire, rain, when Jesus reaches out to us and grabs our hand, pulls us up, and gets into the boat with us. Storms and darkness, storms in the darkness, are inevitable. If you live long enough, you'll be in one. And when you are there, you will be able to have peace that this world cannot offer. Because you can look around to find Jesus in there with you. Let's pray. God, our Father, we...